Welcome to the Living Room Podcast. The Living Room is the college ministry of Buckhead Church in Atlanta, Georgia. For more information, you can check out thelivingroomatl.com. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy this talk. My name is Matt, and I get to lead the living room here at Buckhead Church with an amazing team of people. You've probably seen some of them bouncing around the room tonight. And I moved here um, to Atlanta from St. Louis, Missouri, uh, almost three years ago. Any fellow St. Louisans in the room tonight? Half the room's from St. Louis. That's incredible. Or you're lying. I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, moved from St. Louis to Atlanta, Georgia about three years ago. We moved with my wife, Anne. Anne and I have been married for just over six years now. Marriage is awesome. Highly recommend it. Um, thank you. Yeah. Uh, so I love being married to Anne. She's here tonight. And um, probably, she hates that I just did that, by the way, but probably the most exciting thing and at least the biggest change that's happened in our lives over the past year is that about 10 and a half months ago, we adopted our first daughter. Her name is Willow. Yeah, we got some Willow fans. So I actually brought a picture. This is the fam right here. What's up? What's up? So there's Ann. There's Willow. There's me. And so, yeah, that's the family. And um, I love them. And can I just be, be real with you guys for a second? Like, Stepping into parenthood, becoming a father has been the greatest thing in the world. Like I am loving it. I'm learning so much. It's so much fun. Being a girl dad, I didn't know how I felt about it, but it's the best. Like I don't know if I want anything else. You know, the bows, all the things. And she is so spoiled. She, we counted the other day. She has 15 pairs of shoes right now, and she's 10 and a half months old. So that's like two pairs a month or something like that. But hey, a couple other things that I feel like will be helpful for you to know about me. Number one, I love sports. I'm a huge sports fan. Uh, basketball is my favorite, but football, baseball, I love playing sports, watching sports. And then the other thing is, is I really enjoy trying to dance. Okay, so, so I was really you know, careful in my language there because um, in the past I haven't been and I've kind of got myself in a hole. So I'm not saying I'm a good dancer, but I enjoy trying to dance. And every now and again, you could just see something happen and you might kind of be like, whoa, you know what I'm saying? And, <laughs> Hey, some of you are like, what just happened? Whoa. Okay, I'm done. I'm done, officially. Okay, all right. Yeah, yeah, so I love um, trying to dance, but moving on uh, to tonight. So tonight we're kicking off, I don't know why I just did that. Tonight we're kicking off a, a brand new series here at the living room called Do It Scared. Do It Scared. And this is a series that's gonna be based around the topic of courage and specifically what it looks like to live courageously in the face of fear. But I need to make a really helpful distinction from the start tonight. This series is not going to be about eliminating fear in your life, because the reality is, is I don't think that that's very practical nor very helpful to you. Um, and you know this to be true. Like if you've ever been in a situation in life and like you're afraid, like you're fearful in the moment and someone just comes and they're like, just don't be afraid. You know, you're like, OK, I would love to not be afraid. How do I do that? You know, so we're not going to be talking about eliminating fear. But we are going to be talking a lot about what it could look like potentially for you to begin to overcome fear in your life. Because the reality is that's what courage actually is. Like courage is the ability, or uh, is not the absence of fear, but the ability to move forward in the face of it. So courage, having courage, it doesn't mean that you eliminate fear in your life. No, courage is being able to recognize your fear and yet move forward in the face of it. Like courageous people are not people that have no fear at all. In fact, if you're someone in the room tonight, and you're like, well, I have no fear. So like, I probably shouldn't come the next couple of weeks. I would tell you, you're either lying or like, you need to figure some things out because that's not healthy and good. Like you should have some fears in your life. And so that's not what this is. Like courageous people are not people that have zero fear at all. And they're just, you know, never afraid. And they just do everything courageously, bravely, boldly. No, no, no. Courageous people are very aware of their fears 
They've just learned how to overcome their fears. They've learned how to move forward in the face of it. Another way to say it is that courageous people have just learned how to do it scared. And isn't it true that growing up in our lives, like we, we learn from a very young age what we should fear. Like your parents probably taught you some things that you should fear when you're young and like you go to touch a stove. What does mom and dad or aunt, uncle, grandma, grandpa, what do they say to you? Like, hey, don't, no, 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 don't touch that. Like you shouldn't touch that. That's gonna hurt you. That might be dangerous for you. Or like if you're about to jump off this chair, you know, like right now Willow has no fear. She'll literally just like climb off and she's gonna go off the bed because she doesn't know. And I'm like, you can't do that. Like growing up, we learn what to be afraid of. But then as we get older, as we move on in life, eventually our experiences begin to inform our fears. Our failures begin to inform our fears. And our insecurities even begin to speak in to our fears. And at some point in our life, probably for most of you in the room, this has probably already happened, but if not, I'm just telling you, I'm just giving you a fair warning, it's coming. At some point, our fear moves from being appropriately cautious to detrimentally crippling. Like at some point in our life, there's a fine line and our fear moves from being really healthy and good and keeping us safe because it's good to have some fears. It's good to have some boundaries, you know, it keeps you away from dangerous situations. But at some point in our life, our fear moves from being appropriately cautious to now detrimentally crippling and it's paralyzing to us. And we feel like we don't know what to do. We don't know if we can go this way or that way. And we just feel paralyzed in the moment. This past summer, a couple months ago, I got to go to the beach with my family, and uh, I was there with my wife's family and, and friends as well, and so we were there, and, and it was towards the end of the trip, and it had been great. Like, uh, my daughter was like, kind of, you know, learning how to swim a little bit, and so super fun. So it was one of the, like, hottest days. Like, it was like 110 heat index, and so we were in the pool, like, all day long, and so we're out in the pool, and like a huge group of people um, it was in the pool at this time, so it's like all the parents and the kids, and we're all, like, in the shallow end, you know, so the deep end's, like, empty. Well, my brother-in-law decides, his name's Henry, Henry gets up and Henry's like, hey, I'm gonna go do a cannonball in the deep end. And so I'm like, cool, man, like you, you go for it, you know? And so he gets up and he walks to the deep end and he goes and he does a cannonball. And I'm not gonna lie to you, it was probably one of the more impressive cannonballs I've ever seen in my life. Like I was like, that was incredible, Henry. Like that, the kids are going nuts. There's like a whirlpool. And like, I know I'm like a grown man, but I was like, do it again. Like I want you to do another one, you know? And so Henry's like, no, I think I'm good. And then I'm like, no, guys, don't you want Henry to do it again? And he's like, yeah. And so, so finally he, he goes and he does it again. He walks over to the deep end. And his second attempt at the cannonball was like 10 times more impressive than the first. Like now he does it again. And I'm telling you, I'm like, bro, you can't do it again. The pool is gonna be empty. Like this is crazy. And I'm naturally wired to just be like an encourager. Like I love cheering people on, especially when they do really good things like amazing cannonballs. And so I'm, I'm telling you, like I'm rallying people. I'm like, Henry, yo, bro, you're the man. Like greatest cannonball in the world. Like, you, you know, I'm just like, like hyping him up. Literally, I'm his hype man in this moment. But then Henry kind of starts to get a little bit annoyed. Like he didn't really want this attention. And so, you know, no one would probably want this attention. And so Henry's like, hey, Matt, why don't you go do a cannonball? <laughs> to which in my mind, like, I know me and I know that cannonballs are like not my thing. I've just never been good at it. I don't know. It's like, I don't know if I don't jump high enough or if I don't do the right form, you know, like I try, but it's just, it never works out well. And so I'm like, no, I'm good. I'm good. Like, you know, it's, your, your cannonball is good. I don't, I don't, I don't want to like, you know, like top that. And he's like, no, no, seriously. And so now he can tell like that I'm backpedaling. Right. And so he starts getting people in and he's like, yo, don't you guys want to see like Matt do a cannonball? Like, come on, go do it. And so now I'm like, oh no, I have like people around me and they're all staring at me and they're like, go do it. And I'm like, I don't want to like, okay, I will. So I get up 
And I, I make the long walk over to the deep end. And as I'm walking, I'm like, how can I get out of this? But literally the entire pool, you guys, is staring at me. So I can't get out of this. So I'm like, this is not good. So I just go and I like get back and I just give my highest jump and I, I pike or whatever you call it, I don't know, and try to do good form. And as I hit the water, immediately I feel like that, that probably wasn't very strong. So I'm underneath the water, literally I'm praying. I'm like, Lord, you've, you've parted the Red Sea, I've heard. Can, can, can you just do something amazing in this moment, God? I believe you can, yes and amen in Jesus' name. And I come up out of the water and he didn't do it, he didn't do it. Um, so it was not good. Like literally, people, no joke, I'm not making this up. People are like, boo, what was that? My daughter's like, dad, you're a disgrace. I'm kidding, she was 10 months old. Um, but that's how I felt in the moment. I was like, this is terrible. I felt embarrassed. I felt slightly humiliated. I know some of you are like, bro, it's a cannonball in a kitty like pool, basically. Like what? I'm, I'm just, clearly it's still bothering me two and a half months later. Like I'm never doing that again. And here's the, the, the reason I share this story with you tonight is because maybe you can't relate with that same exact moment, but all of you can relate with what it feels like to have fear overcome you and what it feels like to want to just run in the moment, to want to just run away from it all. Like, like maybe for you, it's fear of failure has kept you from being bold. Maybe the fear of rejection has kept you from not being real with other people. Like you don't want to be authentic. You don't want to open up to other people because you fear being rejected. Maybe the fear of being alone has kept you from ending a relationship. Like maybe you're in a relationship right now with somebody and you know it's, it's pretty unhealthy and you probably should end the relationship. You probably should have ended it a while ago. But the fear of being alone has kept you from it. Maybe the fear of not measuring up has kept you from being confident. Maybe the fear of an unknown outcome of what maybe probably won't even happen, but it could happen one day has kept you from making a decision. Maybe the fear of people's opinions of what they might say or think about you has kept you from acting on your convictions and standing up and speaking up for what you really believe in. Maybe the fear of being embarrassed or exposed has kept you from pursuing community. Like, you want to pursue community, like you're desperately, like we, we're, we live in the generation that it seems like we're the most connected, but yet we're the most alone. And maybe you know this to be true and you're like, man, I want real community. I want authentic, honest, real, strong relationships with people, but I am so afraid to open up because if people know what I really know, if they know my secrets, then they're going to judge me and it's not worth it. And fear is holding you back. This fear has become crippling. And rather than overcoming fear in your life, fear overcame you and you walked away. You just decided to walk away. And yeah, you, you, you hear courageous, like inspirational talks. You watch stories of people that do amazing, courageous things. And in those moments, you're super inspired. In those moments, you're like, man, I'm gonna go be brave. I'm gonna go be courageous. I'm gonna pursue all of my dreams. Like, I'm gonna make big moves this year, especially in this season of my life, especially in college right now. Maybe some of you, like the first week, first two weeks of school, you're like, I'm gonna be courageous. Like, I'm gonna go after, I'm gonna make the most of the season. Like, I'm gonna get my ducks in a row, you know, and I'm gonna make a 4.0 and I'm gonna put myself on a trajectory to be a millionaire by the time I'm 30 so I can retire and go live in the Bahamas. Like, I don't know, maybe that's you. But then you stop and you start, thinking about what it actually means and what it actually requires to live a courageous life. And you think being courageous means that I have to be vulnerable. Like being courageous means that I have to be willing to risk something. And, and can I just let you know that it's not in our natural tendency to want to be vulnerable. 
Like, I don't know about for you, but for me, like, I, I like comfort. I, I like being in control in situations. I like just being able to sit back and relax and kind of know how I think things are gonna unfold. And I think the same is true for you. Like, our natural default is comfort. But what you need to know tonight is that courage and comfort do not coexist. And comfort, if you choose comfort and run away from courage, then you're going to miss out on some things. And man, that's why we're talking about this over the next couple of weeks, because I so desperately do not want you to miss out. Like college is such a unique season of your life. God has so much that he wants you to experience. He has so much that he wants to do in you and through you. But if you start to run from courage, to run from moments where you need to step out and you just retreat to your natural default setting of being comfortable, then you're going to miss out. And I don't want you to miss out on what God has for you to experience. A few years ago when I was in college, I... Um, beginning of my college experience, thought I was going to be a teacher and that changed. But um, first couple of years, I, was, I thought I was going to be a teacher. So in my free time, I would, I would like substitute at middle schools. And so I'd go to these middle schools, I'd sub, it was kind of fun. And I would make some like extra money on the side. And so um, the first time I went to sub, I showed up and I was subbing for PE. It was like the greatest job in the world. And I get there and they're like, all right, yeah, just like make sure that the kids don't go crazy and stuff, you know? And I'm like, okay, I'll be good. And then they're like, all right, but here's probably the most important thing is that after each like, period, when the, when the bell rings, you need to get out in the hallway and you need to play hall monitor. And you need to like, make sure that no one's running, running around the halls because kids absolutely, like in the morning they might be chill, but in the afternoon like, they're gonna be sprinting to lunch and then at the end of the day, like, they're gonna you know, be sprinting out to the buses or the rides or whatever. And I'm like, oh, cool, okay. So the first day I get there and I, I sub and like, I thought they were kind of just like, exaggerating it. And so I'm out there and I'm standing in the halls and sure enough, they were not lying. Like, kids were like, knocking me over and I'm like, yo, this is crazy. So the second time I go to sub, I was ready. Like I get there and I was prepared and I show up and, and lunch period ended and I was, I was kind of ready. Kids weren't that crazy. But then at the end of the day, I saw these two jokers coming and they're running like in my direction. And immediately I'm like, yo, walk, don't run. Did you guys hear me? Walk, do not run. And so sure enough, one of the little kids is like, yes, sir, you know, and he's so scared. And then the other kid's like, okay. And then immediately he's like, you know, like speed walking. I'm like, no, I didn't say power walk. But then he looks back and he's like, you're a sub, you're a joke. And I'm like, you're right. I, I want to fight you, but you're in middle school, you know? <laughs> but that stuck with me. That line, walk, don't run. In fact, I, I want that to be the title of my message tonight. I'm titling this talk, walk, don't run. Because it's what I want you to hear tonight. I don't want you to run from everything that you're afraid of. I want you to begin to walk confidently and courageously towards what God has called you to. Walk, don't run. So tonight, I want to take the last 15 minutes or so that we have, and I want to look at the story of a guy named Gideon. And Gideon is just a normal guy, but God had called him to something incredible. But I think in the moment, Gideon um, felt like he probably wanted to run. He wanted to run from what God was calling him towards because it was a really big deal. But Gideon decided not to. He felt compelled to walk forward anyway, to walk forward in the face of fear. And so the story is found in the book of Judges, which Judges is in the Old Testament, which is the first part of the Bible, everything before the birth of Jesus. And the story of um, the book of Judges kind of highlights parts of the story of the nation of Israel. 
And so it picks up, and Israel was God's chosen people, right? And so God had a great plan and a purpose for Israel, but Israel was kind of in this unhealthy pattern of where they would worship other gods, like they would walk away from God, and then bad things would happen to them, and God would like let their enemies you know, start to overtake them, and then Israel would come back to God, and then God would swoop in and save them. And so in Judges chapter 6, where we're about to pick up, this cycle had kind of restarted, and it was pretty bad, and the people basically were... were had gone their own way. And so then God's like, okay, I'm going to release the Midianites. Um, they're going to overtake you. And for the next seven years, the Midianites like terrorized the people of Israel. And so the people of Israel got so desperate that they come to God, they cry out to God. And then God comes to this man, Gideon, and he says, Gideon, I'm going to use you to lead my people, the Israelites, out of captivity, out of oppression from the Midianites. And so this is where it picks up in Judges chapter 6, verse 11. It says, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash, the Abizrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. So this angel comes and he appears to, to Gideon as just a normal traveler passing through, and he sees Gideon threshing wheat in a winepress. Now, I'm guessing most of you don't know what this means, like you don't know what a wine press is. A wine press essentially was just like a glorified hole, and threshing wheat was when you would just take like, you would separate the, the edible parts of wheat from the unedible parts of wheat. And so this is what Gideon's doing, but it was not common for someone to do this in a wine press, like in a hole. Like usually people, when they were threshing wheat, like they would do this out in the open, and it would just be easier that way. But Gideon is doing it down in a hole because he is hiding out from the Midianites. He is terrified. He is scared. He is fearful. He does not want them to find him. And so look what the angel says to Gideon next. Verse 12, it says, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. So hold up. Like when you're reading this story here, like, hold up. Gideon is literally threshing wheat. Like, I, I don't know, that could be a tough task, but it sounds like that's like pretty, you know, not like the most manly task in the world, threshing wheat. And he's doing it in a hole hiding out, and you're calling this man a mighty warrior? Like, this doesn't make any sense. I think you've got the wrong guy. I think like the Lord sent you to the wrong person. I don't think Gideon's a mighty warrior. I'm sure Gideon's kind of feeling the same way. Like, mighty warrior, like I'm, I'm so afraid right now. I'm hiding out in a hole as I'm threshing wheat. This makes no sense, but the reality is, God saw something in Gideon that he didn't even see in himself. And God sees more in you than you do. Same is true for you. Like God saw potential in Gideon. God looked at Gideon and he didn't see someone who was fearful. He looked at Gideon and he said, Gideon, you're a mighty warrior. That's what he saw in him. And God sees more in you than you do. I don't know where you're at tonight. I don't know what you believe about God. But can I just tell you, if you could see what God sees when he looks at you, if you could just see that for like one second, it would absolutely blow your mind. Like you wouldn't believe it. When God looks at you, he doesn't look at someone who, who has already made too many mistakes. He doesn't look at someone who doesn't really have a lot of skill or talent, someone who doesn't have a great purpose in life. No, when God sees you, he sees someone who has amazing purpose. When God looks at you, he sees someone and he says, man, I'm going to use you in so many incredible ways. You are so talented. I've uniquely wired you. There is no one else on this earth like you. There is only one you. God sees more in you than you do. God saw more in Gideon than he saw in himself. But look at what Gideon says in response. He says, but sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our father told us about when they said, keep going, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt, but now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. So I love this. Like Gideon is super honest here in this moment. 
He replies, he's like, but sir, sir, like, come on. I hear what you're saying. Like, God sees me as a mighty warrior. Like, he has an amazing plan and purpose for my life. But it just doesn't make sense because if this is true, then like, where is he right now? Why are we going through this oppression right now from the Midianites? Like, this doesn't make any sense. Gideon is being 100% completely honest in this moment. And I wonder if some of you can relate. Like, maybe you've heard this in your life that like God's for you, that God sees potential in you, that God has an amazing plan and purpose for you. But then you look at your life right now and the things that you've walked through, or maybe the things that you're currently walking through, or maybe the things that you know are coming down the pipe in the future. And you think to yourself, if God is with me, then why did that happen? Like, if God is with me, then why did my parents' divorce happen? If God is with me, then why did that broken relationship happen? If God is with me, then why did that health report happen? You fill in the blank, but maybe some of you literally right now, like something is coming to mind and you're thinking, yeah, yeah, yeah. If God's with me, if he's for me, then why did that happen? And look at how the Lord responds to Gideon. It says, then the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of the Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Keep going. Next verse says, but Lord, Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. So God says, hey, I'm, I'm sending you. Gideon, I'm, I'm sending you out. And Gideon's reply is like, God, God, you've got the wrong guy. Like, honestly, like, you don't understand. Like, I, I can't save Israel. I'm the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. To which God was like, yeah, you know what? You're right. You're right, Gideon. I just realized this. We got the wrong guy. Like, you're not it. Like, uh, where, like well, I got to go talk to the angel right now. Like, this is the wrong Gideon. This is, not, this is not the right guy. Like, we went to the wrong time. No, that's not what God says. Like, look at how the Lord answers Gideon here. He says, the Lord answers, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites together. God says, hey, Gideon, I understand how you're feeling. I understand that you feel like you're weak. I understand that you feel like you don't have what it takes, but I'm going to be with you. See, Gideon was fearful because he had a lot of confidence in himself. And the reality is when you have a lot of confidence in yourself rather than in God, over time, you're going to become really insecure because this is just true. Security in you breeds insecurity. Like if you're just confident in you and what you can do and what you think and how you feel and how you can respond and in your own strength, then over time, you're going to grow to become insecure. And this is where Gideon was. And God's response to him was, hey, Gideon, I'm going to be with you. And so then eventually, after some conversation and some further thought, Gideon gets to a point where he's like, okay, I'll go. Like, I'll go lead these people, Israel, um, out, and, and we'll try to take down the Midianites. I don't know if I can do this, but you're with me. Okay, let's go. Like, and so he, he heads out, and then this is where it picks up in chapter 7, verse 2, just a little bit later. It said, the Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men for me to deliver Midian into their hands. So I don't know what the Lord was thinking here, but Gideon had to be like, God, you don't understand how battles work. Like you can't have too many men for a battle. Like there's, there's not rules. Like we're not gonna get up to the Midianites and they're gonna be like, time out, hold on. You guys have too many men. We're playing 10 on 10 here. Like this is not fair. Like God, that's not how this works. You know, this isn't like a game of soccer. Like this is, this is war. This is a battle. Like we're trying to kill one another. And then look at how God responds. It says, in order that Israel may not boast against men, that her own strength has saved her, announce now to the people, this is what I want you to say to the people, keep going. 
anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left while 10,000 men remain. So God's like, this is what I want you to say to the people. It happens and 22,000 leave. So I don't know how you are with math, but it started out with 32,000 men, 22,000 men then leave. And they're like, okay, this is our opportunity. Like, peace out, we're out, you know, good luck. So we're down to 10,000 men, but it doesn't stop there. If you read further on, which we're not gonna read further on, but God ends up dwindling the army down, not to 5,000, not to 1,000. He brings the army all the way down to 300 men. So the army goes from what was once 32,000 men to 300 men. So you can imagine now Gideon and the 300 men are like, this is terrible. Like we, we have no chance. Like we're going up against the Midianites. They've been terrorizing us for the past seven years. I could imagine the fear that they must've been experiencing. I don't know why they didn't just decide to turn back to. But for some reason they moved forward. And I think the reason God dwindled this army down to 300 because he realized and he wanted us to show us that, hey, your weakness is a stage set to display God's glory. And I wanna say the same to you tonight. Like your weakness, your fear, your insecurity, whatever you're struggling with, if you'd just be willing to admit it, it's a stage set to display God's glory in your life. And I think God was setting this moment up because he's like, you're gonna take down the Midianites. Like, I, I can do it with just you, Gideon. But you're gonna lead these 300 people into what seems impossible. You're gonna do it scared, and I'm gonna come through. And this is gonna be the perfect setup for me to show my glory, for me to show my power and strength in your life. And they go and they take down the Midianites. And I think the summary of this story is that courageous people chase calling over comfort. Courageous people decide to walk confidently and courageously towards what God is calling them to rather than running towards comfort. So practically, what could that look like for you tonight? Well, I think for one, some of you, you need to walk towards community. Some of you like throughout this year, throughout this semester, throughout your college experience, you're gonna be tempted to run towards comfort when it comes to community. But for some of you tonight, you need to courageously take a step and start walking towards real, authentic community. You don't need to allow the fear to hold you back in this area of your life for one more day. And we've made it really, really easy. Here at the living room, we have something called small groups. And tonight, some people are gonna go to small groups. If you're already in a group, you know where you're going. But many of you are not in a group. Maybe you've never even heard about a small group right now. This is a really big place. Like there's hundreds of people in the room tonight. The way this big, big gathering becomes small is by you stepping into community and stepping into a small group. We have male groups, female groups, and co-ed groups, guys and girls together. It's about 10 to 15 people in a group. You sit with a couple leaders, and every single Monday night starting next week, unless you're going to a group tonight, you already know that, but starting next week on September 9th, actually, because we don't meet next week, you'll hear about that. Anyways, every single Monday night after group, you're gonna go get to sit in a circle with people and do life together and open up and talk about things. For some of you right now, you're like, that sounds so weird. I'm just telling you, I've been there, step into it, it's not. God's gonna use that. Some of you, I'm telling you, walk, don't run. Courageously step out and walk into community. We've made it super simple. All you have to do right now from your seat is just text community to 89800. If you just text this word to 89800, you'll get a text back to you 
It's gonna have a little link. You just click on that link. You don't have to fill it out right now. You can if you want, but you can fill it out whenever you want. It takes about a minute for you to sign up and then someone will follow up with you. But man, I'm hoping that hundreds of you take a step into community. I'm hoping that hundreds of you will hear me say this clearly. Walk, don't run when it comes to pursuing community. For others of you, I think what it could practically look like for you to chase calling over comfort in your life is you just need to walk towards God in this season of your life. And again, I don't know where you're at. I love that this is a place where we have people in all different spots of their faith journey, but some of you, you just need to walk towards God. You don't need to run. Like you're gonna mess up this semester and there's gonna be moments where you feel like you don't deserve to walk through these doors, but come on. Like all of us are broken. If you knew the things that I've done, like you'd be like, wow, he's even here, what? Like some of you, you just need to walk courageously towards God. Maybe that means just showing up on Monday nights, making this a commitment. Maybe that means joining a group. Maybe that means like just having some conversations. I don't know, but some of you, you need to not run from God this semester. You need to courageously and confidently walk towards him. Walk, don't run. I wanna ask you a question. I want you to think about this. What would you do if you were fully confident that God was with you and for you? Like truly, what would you do this semester if you were fully confident that God was with you and for you? I mentioned that my wife and I adopted and the process of adoption is pretty crazy. Like there's ups and downs, it's different for everyone, but um, our process, just speaking from that, um, there were moments along the way where I thought, this is never going to happen. Like it was a year and a half long journey, basically almost two years actually from start to finish. And there were just moments where I thought, God, like I can't do this. There were moments where I wanted to run. If Anne were up here with me, she would tell you the exact same thing. But we kept going, we kept walking one step at a time. A couple months ago when we were at the beach, I had this moment with my daughter and it's a picture I, I, I never wanna lose. And it's this picture right here. And I look at that photo and think, what if I would have ran? What if we would have said, you know what? We have so many fears, so many insecurities right now. I don't think this is right. Like, you know what? We're just gonna run. I could have missed out on this. I could have missed out. For some of you, for all of you in the room tonight, if you run, if you run from God, if you run from community, I'm telling you, you're going to miss out. And man, I so desperately don't want you to miss out. So tonight I am charging you with every ounce that I have inside of me. Would you just be willing to walk? Would you just be willing to start courageously and confidently walking? So as we close, I just want you to call to mind all of your fears from the past. I want you to call to mind all the things that you're maybe fearing right now in this moment. And I want you to even try to call to mind the things that you think you could potentially be fearing down the road in the future. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to look those fears straight on right now. And I want you to say, fear, I acknowledge that you're real. Fear, I acknowledge that I'm probably never gonna eliminate you completely. Fear, I acknowledge that some of you are gonna stay with me a lot longer than I want you to. Like maybe some of you fear you're gonna stay with me for, for years and years. Some fears, maybe you're gonna stay with me for the rest of my life. But even so, I'm choosing to confidently and courageously walk forward in the midst of fear. I'm gonna walk and I'm not gonna run.
It's my hope for you this semester is that in a few months, when you go home for Christmas break, tons of you would have this story. And you'd be able to tell your family, your friends back home, you'd be able to say, hey, describe this semester. And you could just say three words. I walked, I didn't run. And then you could explain what that means to them. But I'm telling you, if you would begin to do that, if you just do it scared and courageously and confidently walk forward, man, there's so much for you to experience. In fact, I really believe that what we're experiencing right now, like this is just the beginning. If six or 700 people decided that, hey, we're gonna walk forward courageously, I believe the city of Atlanta would never be the same. I believe that college campuses all across the city would look different. So that's why I'm so passionate about this. Walk, don't run. Heavenly Father, tonight we come to you and God, all of us have fears. All of us have things that have started to feel crippling in our lives. And God, tonight, the very first night of the semester, we're just coming to you and saying, God, would you just give us courage? Would you just give us the courage to take one step? Would you just give us the courage not to run? Would you just give us the courage to begin walking towards you? And God, in that, we believe that you're gonna do something amazing. And in fact, God, we thank you in advance for what you're gonna do. I can't wait to hear the stories of hundreds of college students as throughout this semester over the next few weeks and months, how they start to walk courageously towards what you're calling them to. So God, tonight in the final few moments that we have together, I pray that for some of us, that tonight, right now, just with our words as we sing this song, that for some of us, this could be us declaring, maybe for the first time in our life, God, we wanna walk towards you courageously. And as a result, I pray that freedom would flood over this place. That some of us in the room who feel like we've been carrying around a ton of fear and it's getting really, really heavy and it's weighing us down, I pray that some of us in the room, maybe for the very first time, would feel a freedom and a peace that we've never felt before. So Lord, would you use these song, this song, use these lyrics, speak powerfully. It's in your mighty name we pray tonight, amen.